BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is, it's probably not a useful question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Kodiak Shack podcast. Today, we have me, your host, Vader, as always, and we have Bender here uh, helping us interview uh, Cindy Brothers. Uh, she had 28 years in the uh, military, working 10 years active duty and 18 years in the reserves. Then after that, she transitioned into the innovation space, which is one of our favorites, and now she's working at Duality. So, uh, Cindy, thank you for being here. Please tell us about yourself. Hi, thanks so much. Um, again, I'm Cindy Brothers. Uh, right now, I'm working for a startup here in Colorado Springs called Duality Systems. I'm the lead for business development. We do uh, workforce optimization solutions, but particularly of interest to the DOD. So we do have a dual-use technology that's marketed to healthcare and to the Air Force. We do um, an AI-optimized scheduling solution. So we automate um, what is probably one of the most painful and uh, heart-wrenching uh, types of processes that people do on a daily basis both on the healthcare side and for, for the Air Force, and especially some really some stressed career fields like um, pilots, air crew, UAV pilots, and missileers. Yeah, nice. One of the things we, we spoke previously, and we'll get to this in a bit, is the I didn't even think about the missileer and, and their scheduling kind of uh, constraints. So we'll, we'll talk to that in the future. But for your 18 or 28 years kind of doing active duty and then reserves, what, what were some of the jobs you held and what was that like doing that? Because that's, that's definitely an undertaking. We here at the Kodiak Shack podcast would like to welcome our new sponsor, Adamus Cyber. Working with the military means there are some minimum cybersecurity requirements that are in every contract. Complying with these requirements can be painfully slow and really take your company's focus off your military customers and end users. Thankfully, the team at Adamus has simplified the process exclusively for small businesses working with the military. It should be expected that security requirements are going to be a part of working with the military, but they don't have to be difficult. Learn why prior guests on the podcast like Arun from Ops Lab or Brian from Rescon use Atomus to comply with the NIST 800-171, DFARS 7012, CMMC cybersecurity requirements in their contracts. Check out their website at www.atomuscyber.com and tell them you heard about them from the Kodiak Shack podcast. Their website will be in the show notes. 
We appreciate all the companies that want to work with the military, and we understand working with the government isn't always the easiest thing, uh, but we appreciate companies like Atomist that make it just a little bit easier. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I came in the Air Force as a personnelist. Um, I had, I would say, what feels like an eclectic career over my 28 years, but then when you kind of pull it all together at the end, lots of, lots of common themes come out. Um, so I started uh, in the POW MIA office of the Air Force. I was brought in from ROTC to do that job specifically. And by doing that, I gained uh, my career field as a personnelist. And within a couple of years, so I applied to then go teach at the Air Force Academy and was um, sponsored to get a graduate degree, got my master's degree at UMass Amherst, um, and to then move on to teach at the Academy after a couple of personnel jobs, um, both at AFPC and then up at Fairchild Air Force Base. Um, with a, a refueling squadron up there. And then uh, went to grad school, came to the academy to teach, and shortly thereafter um, applied to be a foreign area officer and to do um, language and cultural immersion and went to, uh, to lovely Florence, Italy. Um, and this is nice. to do my, get my, uh, my uh, speaking certification in Italian. And this was after having done a six-month deployment to southern Italy. Again, another like terrible place <laughs> to be deployed, but supporting um, the operations in Sarajevo where we were um, picking up criminals indicted for war crimes and taking them to The Hague. So kind of got me interested in Italy and being more involved and engaged in um, stuff going on in Europe. So I took that opportunity to get the language and cultural immersion training, got certified as a FAO, and that became my secondary AFSC. So I was teaching at the academy quite a bit, um, but taking other opportunities to go to Europe. So supporting the US mission to NATO um, and a variety of different schools and opportunities to learn more about NATO. And that kind of became my academic specialty for many years was European politics and the politics of NATO. Um, so after 10 years of active duty and doing that, um, I had my daughter transition to the reserve since my husband was still active duty at the time. Um, he's an exercise physiologist, a scientist, and um, went into the reserve, kept teaching at the academy for several years. Um, and over that course of time and a few different moves, um, I gradually also became interested in innovation. Um, so when the opportunity presented itself, to come back on orders uh, to help set up Air Force Cyberworks at the Air Force Academy, I jumped at that opportunity. So I was brought in from having doing, uh, been doing a civilian role in fundraising. They brought me in to build up the strategic engagement um, capability of Air Force Cyberworks. So learning out how to reach out both to Air Force customers and individuals and then industry partners and other academic partners to really get after um, what CyberWorks' mission was, which was to focus on human-centered design and um, creating better technology solutions for the Air Force, like not just have this big, ugly contracting mechanism that then delivers you something that the Air Force has to teach people how to use, but to really get after what are the pain points that airmen are experiencing and how do we get better solutions that can be brought to the force much more easily. So spent several years doing that, um, as well as going on active duty orders again to both teach at the Air Force Academy and continue um, doing that role of strategic engagement with Air Force Cyberworks. And that all wrapped up in 2020, um, which is, you know, perfect time to be <laughs> time to be transitioning. But I took an opportunity then to um, attend the Stanford Ignite program. So Stanford Graduate um, School of Business has a Veterans Ignite program. So 
encourage people to jump on that if they're at all interested in it because you leave with a Stanford certificate in innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, and they offered this great deal to veterans. So I took that, was, um, had to do it virtually, unfortunately, because of COVID year and everything. But the content and actually the access to people became, um, I think, even richer than it might have been in person because everybody was really eager to connect and share information. And, you know, you didn't have to, to travel hours and hours to do these kinds of things. You could just, you know, have, an, have a conversation online real quick and get stuff done. So did that. My, in my reserve position, I moved into uh, J5, the joint staff with the Pentagon, where I was doing uh, a, what was I, political military strategist for Europe, NATO, and Russia. So timing became perfect for that on the reserve side. Really, uh, really interesting things happening, as you are all well aware. And also then um, joined a couple of friends as a co-founder to start up Duality Systems. We got some funding from uh, sort of a, a government-supported accelerator uh, to build out a dual-use technology to market both to government and to healthcare, and that's where we are today. Man, so so many topics, and I feel like I each uh, as you kind of progress through each one, I was like, "Ooh, I want to talk about that." Oh, I want to talk about that. So I'm going to miss some of them, uh, but the ones that kind of stood out were the things that's really exciting for Bender and I because we we kind of just stayed in our little fighter pilot bubble uh, for our active duty careers, and we didn't realize all the opportunities and things that existed out there. So you kind of highlighted a couple things, like the Stanford Ignite uh, program, which uh, which is cool because a lot of people are always looking for opportunities to meet people, opportunities to gain insight, and then, you know, opportunities to gain funding. So it sounds like you've had uh, experience with kind of both of those things. So I guess the Stanford Ignite program, how are people, I mean, do you have to already have a graduate's degree or is it just – uh, how are you getting in, involved in that? Um, so as I understand, it's held once a year, and you submit an application. Um, you'll need a couple of recommendations to say, like, here's, here's my future path. Here's the kinds of things that I think that this would be useful for. Um, it helps to have a recommendation or have some contact from somebody who's gone through it before. So it's a great time to go out to LinkedIn and put in Stanford Ignite and see if any of your connections pop up um, as having attended that or a connection of a connection and just talk to people about what the experience is for, is, um, is for them um, and how they've been able to use it. And it can be anybody, you know, officer, enlisted, um, anything. I think the, the tuition at the time was uh, $2,500 and it's normally um, 25000 <laughs> So uh, it was. It's a significant um, benefit, and the just the personal connections and the access to the Stanford professors that you get over the course of these few weeks is just just phenomenal. So it's one I one I highly recommend if you're at all interested in entrepreneurship and innovation, um, how business does things. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, we've talked to a lot of people who've who've graduated from the you know, the Stanford, the business school there from the, get their MBA there. Uh, and they, they speak very highly of it. So I did, I assume that would also be great. And then another area that you kind of highlighted was, you know, getting, um, kind of funding through these, uh, organizations that kind of, did they reach out with a topic and say, Hey, we're looking for people to solve this problem. Or how did you get those initial funding, uh, to kind of start duality in that dual use space? Um, I don't remember the entire Genesis story of it, but it was a congressman who was interested in um, both sort of building up 
um, higher technology business in Colorado. And so it's like we had, there was a congressional line item to do these types of things. And then it was, the program was run by BMNT partners, which they also support, and these, they actually weren't connected, but they also support programs like Hacking for Defense. Um, so there's, they have a strong interest in trying to build up support for um, greater and more advanced government technology, innovative technology that can be delivered to, to warfighters. So um, I don't remember, like I said, how the whole thing came about, but um, but yes, we applied for it, pitched to them a couple of times, and answered some of their you know critical questions. Uh, that was probably one of the more stressful <laughs> stressful few <laughs> weeks of my life. Like oh, well, you know, it's just a million and a half dollars on the line. That's all. <laughs> well, and a lot of people, I think, because again, Bender and I are relatively uh, new to the space, and we we don't understand all the different avenues. Uh, but one of the things that we find interesting is over and over and over there's different avenues to find success. You know, this is a, a state run program that has funding that's outside of your traditional cyber one, cyber two, you know, things like that. Uh, so I, I think that's really cool to just learn about that experience. So other people understand, cause the other day Bender and I uh, got told about the commercialization offices at uh, universities and in every single most universities in every single state uh, that have the ability to commercialize out of that school. And, you know, that's just something, if you don't realize that you, you'd be surprised. Um, Bender, you, uh, you got any questions so far? Cause I've got a bunch, I don't want to steal the show. Yeah. I mean, so do you guys just kind of going off that, but are, do you guys also use traditional silver type funding as well? After you got that initial grant, what are you guys working we with? Do, right now? Yeah. So we started up in September of 2020, you know, like lovely time to trying to be moving into healthcare, right, as everything is totally closed down, um, but spent that first year really developing the product. And then our first funding, our first funding sources, and at the moment still one of our largest is actually Cibber. So we won two Cibber phase ones. We're in the middle of a phase two right now, and we just won and started a phase three. And we've got nice. a couple more phase threes that are kind of in the in the hopper kind of waiting for them to, you know, yeah. to, to show themselves. Um, but yeah, so cyber opportunities were fantastic. Um, and the air force, I don't know if you've talked to or interviewed other people from AFWorks lately, but they were able to get the open topic, uh, the cyber open topic to be a more regular occurrence. So I believe that there are um, at least two opportunities, two windows per year where they will have the cyber open topic. Um, I have there, I have, it's great sometimes, and it's also kind of not great. I mean, it's sort of a big dragnet of potential opportunities, and you really have to do a lot of legwork to connect to the right potential customers. But also, it does give the Air Force a really great opportunity to kind of see what's out there. Yeah, I think one of the one of the tough parts is if every single one of your cyber uh, kind of topics is a known topic, then how do you know what's out there that that exists that you aren't already utilizing. So I think open topics are a good idea, but like you said, a dragnet, you're probably going to catch a lot of stuff that, that may not go anywhere, but Hey, it's probably worth a try, especially at the Cibber one and two level. Uh, so before we get too far down the, the Cibber side, so as you're kind of still in the reserves and in setting up, uh, you said arc works, correct? I don't want to use the wrong term. Uh, Air Force cyber works. Uh, cyber works. That's what, sorry about that. Um, no worries. But so, yeah, standing up the cyber work. So how was that? Like just generating a program out of thin air? Uh, it was, it was 
exciting and fun and also really, really frustrating. Um, so we were at the, <laughs> at the very beginning of kind of the growth of the innovation ecosystem. So I think our predecessor was DIU. So we spent a lot of or defense innovation unit. So we spent a lot of time calling them. Okay, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you get around this? Um, I always had this mantra in my head of, you know, be like water, you know, try to flow around obstacles. You know, there's nonstop obstacles when you're trying to set one of these things up. And um, there are lots of people who can say no and very few people who can say yes. So you, you find who can say yes and you find that path you know, to, to get connected to the right people, get the right resources. Um, this is a little bit more of like the Navy mentality of if it's not written down, it's permissible, or the Air Force mentality, if it's not written down, you certainly can't do it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we would try to see the lessons that DIU had learned and, and push against that. And shortly after we stood up, a lot of the AFWorks founders came and talked to us. Okay, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? So um, it's lots and lots and lots of shared information about how to create a unit within the Air Force innovation ecosystem. Yeah, because I think, I mean, and you can speak better to, to it than I, uh, but the, the, the DOD really, and the Air Force specifically, is, is not really built for the dynamic, adaptive onboarding and contracting and everything. So are you pretty much creating that all yourself, like that vehicle, that way to onboard things and purchase things, you're, you're just generating that from, from nothing, or was there kind of a baseline from DIU? Um, we had a baseline of a couple of things. So DIU uses, um, I think they have used the CSO, so commercial solutions opening, as well as OTA, so other transactional authority. Um, and they use um, a relationship with a nonprofit called a, a P3 or a public-private partnership. Um, and so kind of creating the, the mechanisms for, for how to. Um, we looked at some of those things and also sought out others. What else can we do? So since we were situated at the Air Force Academy, and we kind of had this, this um, shared administration, which was, which was tricky in itself. It was, it, Cyborgs is funded by ACC, but it sits at the Air Force uh, Academy. So you have your, your OpCon and your AdCon, um, and there's always a little bit of tension there of who owns the billets and, and all these kinds of things. But being a federal lab and an academic institution, we had some advantages that even DIU and AFWorks didn't have at the time. So being able to create relationships either with other academic partners was easier, with industry partners, because we could use things like CRADAs, so a cooperative research and development agreement um, that is created with the academic institution. So it was like finding all these different mechanisms to not only create value for the Air Force, but certainly also make it worthwhile for the industry partners as well. You know, show them why they would want to do this. Why would you want to have a mission impact? What are the challenges that we're dealing with? And how can you bring value to the Air Force or the Air Force Academy? That's good. And I'm glad that they, that AFWorks came over and, and kind of shared some, some learn knowledge and experience. So, you know, you're not all making the same mistakes separately. You're kind of sharing that knowledge base and, and everybody's kind of moving forward together. Uh, what would you say out of uh, the, out of CyberWorks there, what were some of the programs that kind of came out of that as it was produced and created um, moving forward? Um, I think 
one of the biggest things, um, still to this day, one of the biggest advantages that CyberWorks offers is their team, um, really strong team of human-centered design professionals. So UX, UI, focus on human-centered design. They, they still do design sprints, um, which we participated one as a small business just um, a couple of months ago. So we participated from the industry side. Um, where they really focus on they bring in an Air Force organization that's struggling with something, drill down to what the true pain points really are, and then kind of create what that solution should look like versus like we've got this problem, let's pull a contract for it and you know write a 50,000 line item of, of requirements for this contract. Let's figure out what the, what the struggle really is and do we have resources in house? Do we need to? Is it a combination of policy change and industry capability, and also, you know, an Air Force thing? What, what what's truly needed to get after the solution? So I think their true strength is really um, in using that human-centered design approach to problem solving, and then capitalizing on the capabilities of industry to help solve that problem. And are they using, uh, for the UX and the UI, stuff like that, are they using the computer programming or the computer science uh, department and the, the students there to kind of write a lot of that code, or, or is that kind of dependent on what they're working on? It's totally dependent on what they're working on. So that, that's not a, not a normal part of the process. Um, they have a few um, academic seats that, that are shared between, say, like CompSci and CyberWorks. Um, the law department and CyberWorks, but for the most part, if it's a problem that relates to the computer science department, they might bring in faculty or students, but normally, no. It's the, um, the Air Force unit, some members, like some of the stakeholders there, and the users and customers who are feeling that pain point, and then industry or acad other academic partners that might help work towards the solution. I see. That makes sense. So would you say, uh, as you're kind of, Bender, do you have some? Well, I'll ask you when you're done with this uh, question, but yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, so I was just going to ask kind of over all your experiences, obviously you got to, you know, go to Italy and do all those things. And, and you've had like very impactful experiences in your military time. What would you say was the most kind of impactful and enjoyable if those are the same one or different ones? Oh, that's, that's so hard to say. Um, so I, I look over my whole, look over the whole career. And like I said, it all, it seems super eclectic. And then at the end of the day, I realize like all of these things relate to connecting people to one another and to sources of information to help solve problems. Like I, I end up, I'm like, Oh, I'm just like, I'm a connector. Like as a FAO, you're a connector as a Paul Mill strat, you're connecting all these things. Um, and through CyberWorks and even fundraising, you know, you're connecting all of these things together to get after a challenge. Um, the most long-lasting one, probably CyberWorks, um, just to be able to see how much that grew. And even, even with all the challenges and struggles and all those kinds of things, that was really significant. Um, from a military career perspective, my last job as a reservist in, in J5 on the Joint Staff truly felt the most impactful in that sense, I mean, you're, you're getting stuff from the chairman, you know, we want to get 40 countries together in five days in Germany, go. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, it, it, I mean, it just so happens that we happen to have a, you know, war in Ukraine at the time. So there was a lot, of course, wartime stuff is, is much more, um, it sticks in your memory a little bit more. So kind of hard to say from the innovation side and the business side, certainly CyberWorks and then being able to see it from duality systems, but from the military career perspective, the, the joint staff one was, was fantastic. 
Yeah. Just great, great great people all around really working hard to do the right thing for for a great cause. That's good. And I feel like, you know, when when you lose that kind of that perspective and that end goal and hey, we're doing this for a good reason, you know, people they they may lose motivation sometimes. So it's always good to hear that, you know, when everybody has a common goal, you can you can get some stuff done. Bender, what do you got? Well, I was going to kind of go back to cyborgs a little bit, but honestly, both things kind of tie in a little bit, uh, but it's just interesting to hear you talk because I'm at Hill Air Force Base where we have three active duty F-35 squadrons and a couple of them have been, you know, deployed to NATO since the Russia-Ukraine uh, conflict kind of kicked off. Anyway, so it's interesting to hear your perspective from being at J-5 and then also see how these guys were kind of moved around and how that plays on our, our daily kind of schedule. But it's also interesting to hear you talk about the duality stuff because at the same time that, you know, we're getting sent to Europe and stuff, we have zero functionality in our scheduling process, like in the same squadrons. So it is interesting that those things, they do tie together, you know, even at the operational level, you know, just from a fighter pilot's perspective. So I was going to ask, like, how, so Cyberworks has been online for a little while now. Have you, like, what's the timeline like to get, when a good idea gets to you and it gets developed, when can the end users when can we see implementation, I guess, like at our level? Does that make, I know that um, varies widely, but has there been successes at Cyborgs that have made it down yet to the operational units? Um, yes, in fact, so this, and this ties actually the, to the two sides of my life, like the Cyborg side and now the, the duality system side um, for what we're doing related to scheduling. Um, there was an early problem set that came from one of the spark cells at Travis Air Force Base um, I, it call, called Puckboard, um, that they came to Cyberworks to kind of work through some of the early wiring diagrams for how, um, how scheduling might, might be in the future. Like, how could it be? Because they were still using, you know, using the Puckboards, right? Um, just last week, they had the, we had the Airlift Tanker Association meeting in Denver, and I went up for a meeting, um, and we did a, kind of did a pitch up there as well for some of the ATA folks, because we do scheduling as well. Um, and so this is one that we saw early on in Cyberworks, and now we get to see it from the side where it's like the solution is actually being deployed um, out to some units. Um, we have a part to play in terms of small business because we have the automation function that Puckboard doesn't yet have. Um, so those kinds of things uh, we see. And actually, I, I've heard about some of the scheduling challenges that are happening with the F-35 squadrons as well. So we've had some of those conversations. How can we, how can we help, help solve that? Um, so part of that problem set and the fact that we knew that it was not just applicable to healthcare, but also to the Air Force is because we lived it, we experienced it, we heard about it nonstop. So like as soon as we're like, well, we can't get any access to healthcare during organizations during a pandemic, everything is closed down, nobody's going anywhere, and they're just like so overwhelmed, it's, it's unrealistic to believe that we could talk to those folks. We know that we can still work with the Air Force. We know that the problem is there. Um, and one of the units we're working with up at Grand Forks Air Force Base is a UAV, UAV unit. So they've gone from scheduling, which take, took them at the time about 150 hours a week across four to five individuals. So two to three pilots doing it and two more contractors doing it. The last schedule build we did for them took 15 minutes. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. So, um, it was like tears of joy. Like, so you're seeing this from this conversation that we had in probably 2017 or 2018, I'm thinking, to today, you know, this is an, it's an endemic problem across the Air Force. I mean, across the DOD, I'm sure, but certainly in the Air Force. And now we're like, okay, we're getting to the point where we really see truly impactful solutions where people are like tears of joy, happy. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, we need so, it for sure. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that, that I think Bender and I, we, we agree on is that the, the problem we see as an end user, you know, who is using the PECs or the GTIMs or whatever the current uh, software is, it's that transition. It's the, like, now we have a solution. But the problem is it's a, it's a bespoke or a niche solution that, you know, ran like some squadrons will get. What do you, with your past experience, understand working in the Pentagon and, and just being in the, the military and then now being a, uh, like an innovation company, how do you see it going from a successful product that people want to have and replacing wholeheartedly a prime, a G Tim's or a, or a PEX or something like that? Like what's that like progression look like? Um, it's a huge hurdle. I, I'm sure that you've had conversations with folks in the past that have talked about that Valley of death, right? I mean, we can have great, phase three work going on with and phase two and phase three work going on with different air force units. And part of the hustle of the small business at that time is to make sure you're not just serving this one unit, you know, we're having conversations with a helicopter squadron, a rescue squadron in um, Georgia that like PEX is dead for them. So they're just, you know, they're using, I don't know what Google sheets or something. I, <laughs> I think that's what they're using right now, but our discussions with them is we want to make sure we're not just this little niche solution for you guys here if we continue with a contract, part of that we hope is that you will work to help us connect to the, your broader community. Um, and there's a second part to that too. So that's not just then delivering this one product to uh, a you know, group of users in the Air Force, but the data science and the mathematical, the technological side of it, um, which I, I can't, I can only speak to in, in like secondhand terms because I hear our, our, you know, my co-founders talking, the one who's got the doctorate in scheduling, he's like, there's um, an ideological difference in how you go about scheduling. One of them is that you need to have a niche mathematical algorithm for each individual problem set. He's like, it's, it's flat out wrong. You can have a generalizable algorithm that can be tailored then on the front end for the problem set that you're dealing with. And that's, and that's how we have our, our solution is we use the exact same platform for healthcare as for our UAVs, like 
same thing. It just looks different to the users. But the algorithms at the back end, you're putting people in places at times with very unique certifications and skill sets that you've, you know, you've created in that interface and boom, hit the button and optimize it or, you know, op optimize multiple things. But, but um, yeah, so there's a little bit of a, a philosophical debate about how scheduling should be done and how that product should be done. And, and I don't, obviously I don't understand like the medical side of, of scheduling, but I, I, intimately understand the side of, you know, flying operations scheduling. But the the big difference that I see there is the the built-in attrition that's assumed due to weather, due to airplanes breaking. Because I would assume if a medical person, you know, they're scheduled for a time, they show up, and 99% of the time it probably works out. But So is that kind of a constraint? Oh, okay, look at that. So you would be wrong, go. yeah. 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 So they're, they so still have their constraints as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we always say we're, we're focused on like highly complex industries. So in healthcare, for example, the, um, you know, the weather breakage, the, that kind of corollary in healthcare is somebody calls in sick, um, especially like in a complex unit, like an ER where you're dealing with patient surges at like 30 minute intervals. You need to staff to that kind of complexity um, that's that's one of those things. So somebody calls in sick and all of a sudden there's a cascade of, well, we've lost the person who is certified in cardiac, right? Who could be your, I don't know, your loadmaster, whatever, um, on the Air Force side. Or, for example, you get a patient surge. All of a sudden, like, for example, here in Colorado right now, we've got a, a big surge in RSV. So you've got a patient surge. So you've staffed out, you've built your schedule for a month. What do you do when all of a sudden your patient volume jumps up quickly how do you how do you account for that? How do you change for that? So it's like it's a different flavor, but same same kind of complexity, and it can change on a change on a dime on a moment's notice. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. The uh, what about missileers? I have uh, I've never really interacted with them, but I mean, is that how is scheduling for them? Is it just long schedules, or I don't understand their situation. They've got a couple different ways that they approach schedule. So they can do sort of like a week-long type of a schedule, or they can do shorter ones. But it's always, you know, crews of two above ground and two below ground. Um, one of the big challenges for them is, of course, retention. Um, so, I mean, we always joke, you know, if you want to go get your, your graduate degree, go in missileers, right? <laughs> you do, do it online while you're, <laughs> while you're in the hole. Um, but that's a big challenge for them. Um, is to not only balance it out, one of the constraints or the challenges within missileers and missileer wings and units is they've got all these different geographic locations too, and then different transit times to get to these different places. So you've got to build in the travel time, build in multiple locations, ensure you have enough people to be able to do it who are certified. Um, and, you know, any again, so much like pilots who can go um, DNIF, a missileer, they have a separate acronym that I can't remember what it is, um, where they can't, you know, they can't be on, on duty. They can't be, uh, not the PRP program, but it's, it's, I think DENIA, something along those lines, um, that can add, throw complexity in. So you have one person they have to, who goes off schedule, then all of a sudden they have to account for that. Um, and it can be sort of a, a, you know, Lego or domino cascade of events across all of the different missile sites. One uh, random sidebar, this is, it's probably not a useful question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is it, uh, do you know if it's like a, a, like a classified space when they're sitting in the silo? So like they can't bring their cell phone or an Xbox or anything like that? 
I don't know the answer to that question. I just imagine so. Other than the miscellaneous that we talked to, I don't actually, I haven't known very many over the course of my life. We haven't, haven't, yeah, intersected. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, the the reason I think of it is because we will sit alert depending on the base you're at and things like that. But the alert shack is like just a nice cozy house that like you, two pilots and like eight maintainers sit in, at least for F-16s. And you just, you know, you hang out, you check your email, you play on your cell phone or you play a video game, we watch a movie. So I can, you know, it sounds cool unless you're like sitting in a classified vault for seven days straight. And you're like, all you have is nipper access and zipper access. And you're like, this is lame. This is no wonder. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't speak to that. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that's cool though. That's your, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Our I'll audience. Ask. The next time we have a meet, I'll ask, we, we, we talk with them again next week. I'll ask the question. Perfect. Yeah. I'm looking forward to closing the loop on that one. The, <laughs> the, uh, but that's awesome that you're, that you're kind of trying to solve the problems across multiple, uh, problem sets. Like, you know, whether it's the medical side or missile ears or, you know, drones or anything like that. Cause I mean, Bender and I, we grew up together. I mean, pilot training scheduling is terrible. Like B core scheduling, calf scheduling, all of it's bad. So, I mean, if, if there's an opportunity for that to be solved, uh, we've seen it before. We've talked about it before that there, I think there was a paper in the 1980s that was written about solving the scheduling problem. So it's like, man, we've taken a long time, but hopefully, hopefully we're getting there now. Um, so can you speak a little more in depth just about exactly what duality is doing with its AI process? Obviously we've talked about who you're helping, but kind of specifically to the software. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and one of the things that's a common thread among all those communities, all those users, um, is retention and use of time. Um, so in healthcare, it's a big drain on retention. Like you're, you're brought in as a nurse, you're trained for, you know, to, to take care of people. Um, and when you're spending, you know, 20 hours a week just messing around with a spreadsheet, that is probably not, it doesn't feel like it's your best use of time. Um, and then people, no matter what, they typically hate the results. So no matter what, like people always feel as if they're getting the short end of the stick. Um, so one of our co-founders is a clinical nurse manager. I mean, that was the genesis of the problem is, and she's like, I would spend hours and hours and hours trying to build this schedule to keep everybody happy. And no matter what, I can't, I, I can't do it um, because this is the nerdy math side, you know, say you're scheduling for 25 people over the course of a month in a healthcare unit with all these different certifications and licensures and time off and stuff like that, that's over 7,000 variables that they have to take into account to create a good schedule. We know intuitively a computer can do that better, right? And can do it faster. Um, so also with our, um, with our, our AI, uh, we are not only optimizing to fill these critical types of um, shifts and things like that, where there's a lot of different complexity, but also we bring in personal preference. So we do like a sort of a stitch fix type of an interview within the application when users log in, like, when do you, wh- when do you like to work? Not just which days do you want on and off and which shifts do you want, but what do you like your cadence of work to look like? And that's different for everybody. You know, if you're a senior nurse or, you know, senior pilot, right? It looks different. I've got teenage kids at home or I'm a, you know, I'm a young 20 something and I'd rather have this. Um, so we build in the personalization preference. So we optimize first for the requirements of the unit, those hard constraints. I have to have this many people with these certifications at this time of day in this place. Um, 
but then secondarily, we optimize for those personal preferences um, because that's getting after that work-life balance and that retention challenge. Um, so we're not only just making it faster and easier, like our average um, schedule build time for a healthcare unit is like one to two minutes, um, where it's normally 20 to 40 hours. Um, so that's, that's cool that it's faster and they don't have to do it anymore because the dominant paradigm in healthcare is what they call self-scheduling. Everybody goes in and puts their, you know, puts their stuff into a calendar and then some poor nurse manager has to go in and rack and stack and make sure everything is balanced. So they feel like they're saving time because they've pushed it out to everybody, but then somebody else has to go back in and kind of fix it. Um, so we're optimizing to schedule more quickly for those hard constraints, but also give people better schedules. So they, they like it better, like, oh, these schedules meet the way that I would like to be able to live my life and to work. So we do the same, same thing on the pilot side, right, um, or the missileer side, is we make sure that all of the, those spots are filled when they need to be filled, but also we kind of learn, like, what do you want the, the cadence to, to look like for you? If you have the ability to change up when you're doing your training versus when you're flying a mission, you know, what do you prefer? And we can work to fill those things. So um, longer term for the pilots, it's also bringing in, um, what's the word I'm looking for when you're maintaining, um, sorry, this is one of the uh, word has escaped my, like my not grasp ops here. tempo or no, but um, you know, when you're due for a certain type of a mission, um, oh, like your currencies, Currency, that's the word. Yes. Yeah. So we're working to be able to automate um, for currencies as well. So that's kind of in our in our midterm roadmap so that you can automatically prioritize people who need to have currencies. So you're not just building the schedule and, and then kind of moving people around, but you're automatically making sure that they're prioritized as well. So they're getting into the next missions for closer to when their currencies are expiring. But nice. Same thing, end of the day, better use of time. You're not dealing with spreadsheets, automates it all, and hopefully get better schedules at the end of it. Uh, do you do they have the ability to reflow the schedule? Like, So like, for instance, in the, we call them grenades in the, at least in the fighter squadron. It's like the schedule will finally be set after 150 hours of effort or whatever. And then, you know, like four days goes by and you're in the middle of the execution of that week's schedule and somebody drops a grenade i.e. like they have meetings that they have to go to and then they fall out of the flight and then the whole thing has to re-roll for the rest of the week. Is that all part of the automation as well? Like it has the ability to find backups and plug holes and that kind of stuff? Yeah, so when, when, the, um, when the algorithm runs, it automatically calculates for any individual disruption, every single position in a shift or a schedule, every single one. And so each individual can go in if they fall out, like nurse calls in, pilot can't, whatever, right? It automatically puts in the top, the suggestions for here's not only the people who are qualified for that shift, pick one or notify them all, see who can take it. And, but also then it'll rank order them based on their personal preferences. Like who's most likely to take it because it better fits with the way that they would like to work. And they haven't already met their, you know, their max hours that you can put in all those constraints, right? Um, they, they aren't already over time for the day or whatever. So it automatically pre-calculates for that. So you just go boom, hit a button, notify them all, and they can be plugged into the shift. That's so, yeah. pretty full up. <laughs> I mean, I'm ready to buy this thing right now for Hill. So. Yeah. It's pretty cool. You probably should. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Seriously though, like, when we're done here, I'm gonna get you in contact with our scheduling shops. I don't even know if there's a, a spark cell at Hill. I doubt that there is, but somebody's got to get this because right now um, we're working on 
we can work on Excel, basically. Yeah, I know. So I've talked to the Air National Guard commander who's out there. He wants the same thing, but it's for the they have tankers. The solid, yeah, solid tankers. Yeah, yeah, I think there might be a spark cell out there, but I don't recall. I can I can look on that AFWorks map too and find out. They have the listing of where all the spark cells are. Nice. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's hit or miss sometimes. A lot of times I've noticed that the, the CAF squadrons, just because they're so busy, they don't do a ton of the spark cell stuff, even though they may have one. It's just kind of, or at least the op side doesn't really interact, and it's it's much more like a non-op, you know, the support side of it. But the uh, the one thing that I, I appreciated, and I think that there's going to have to be a paradigm shift, at least in the fighter squadron, because you said, like, hey, you can you can put your own, like, scheduling preferences in, and it'll accommodate for that because in the fighter squadron, do you know what a PFA is? Have you ever heard of that? Uh, in a, uh, if it's not the, if it's not the physical fitness assessment. No. No. Yeah. So it's uh, in the the uh, the the nice way to say it is personal freaking agenda. So someone <laughs> has their PFAs, and uh, it's it's effectively saying like, oh, you want a schedule that accommodates your life. So, and it's, it's said in a derogatory way. So it's like, oh, this guy's PFAs. So it's nice that you build that in, but at least in a fighter squadron, a lot of people, it's kind of like, you'll deal with the schedule you get and they'll try to be helpful and things, but hopefully because scheduling will become easier, it will become even better and easier to accommodate those. And maybe it won't be such a, a problem to accommodate PFAs. Well, that's the biggest cultural change that we're having, to, cultural shift we're having to, a, like, you know, change management process you have to deal with on the Air Force side is, like, you can account for personal preference. If you want to have a conversation about retention, let's talk about those kinds of things. I mean, the whole zeitgeist of, you know, this generation has been, and things we've learned from COVID is, like, there's more to life than work, right? The whole pandemic and shutdown, like, you see this huge change in the workforce, um, we can do things to account for preferences, and, and that's not bad, um, but that's probably the biggest change management hurdle on the Air Force side. So we had conversations with scheduling cyber mission teams, even the schedule you know, schedule conversations with the missileers. They're like, can we turn that off? And so I'm like, I feel like we need to have this conversation. I'm like, are you sure you want to? I mean, let's talk retention. Yeah. Um, it's possible. It's okay to let people have preferences, and if we can work to do better by them, we maybe we should. Um, the change management side on healthcare, it's funny, they have a different change management challenge. They're all about giving people preferences for retention. They understand that connection there, that you'll hang on to people better if you can do that. For them, it's the letting go of the process, the the hands-off that automation can bring, whereas the Air Force folks are like, heck yeah, automate it, do it. I don't want to touch that anymore. So it's two different, you know, two different hurdles. Well, that's everybody says that except the DO, because in a fighter squadron, the DO owns the schedule, so everyone wants to be hands off, and then the DO is like, "Let me, let me put my hands in there for sure." Cause yeah, I, I think that's what you've, uh, I mean, having built schedules and having been a scheduling uh, like shop chief, you can build a schedule that objectively meets the intent, but it doesn't subjectively meet the DO's desires, you know, so he can say like, I don't want, even though that is exactly what I asked for, I don't want those people flying exactly what I asked for. And you're like, come on. So I think there's, like you said, there's going to have to be, yeah. Well, and like the problem is it's the second and third third order effects on Monday, 
we move a guy from first go to second go because it makes sense. Air quotes makes sense. But then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, all like Bender said, get grenaded because we changed Monday. And so that's like, that's what we end up having, at least in my experience. And some DOs are better than others, but you'll run into problems where you can, you can have a computer objectively build a good schedule, but it doesn't meet that whatever that nebulous answer is that the, the DO is looking for. So I think that is going to be one of the challenges, at least with some DOs moving forward of, Hey, you know, I, I know it, it is correct, but it's not the correct I'm looking for. Uh, but again, like hopefully because it takes minutes to schedule, you just hit enter again and then you get a whole new schedule and can lock what you want and don't want and all that. Um, and wait, I will begrudgingly say we do give like there's different levels of permissions in the system. So we do give people that whole, that, you know, God power, you can move folks around, but it's that conversation of, are you like, just, just try this, you know, <laughs> just try this. Yeah. So see, see what happens when you try this. And I think, I think one of the things is someone has to do exactly what you said. They have to try like, Hey, give it three weeks, give it a month. Like let this build your schedule and rebuild your schedule for a month and just see what happens, you know? And if the world catches on fire, you can go back to the old way, but if it doesn't, you know, but I think there's, there's going to be that shift of, Hey, this is, I mean, Bender and I, we grew up in that. And I assume, you know, when Bender is a, a DO, he can, he can be the same DO we always have been. <laughs> I always gave but my the, schedulers, uh, I, we give them scheduling priorities. And number one, of course, was like, make sure Bender's taken care of. And then two through whatever, I yeah. who cares? <laughs> Not important. As yeah. long as I can be in the algorithm, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, we, we reluctantly had to put that in, you know, like you can manually schedule. Like if you want to, are you sure that's what you really want to do? But And that was like the same thing on the healthcare side. Like some people who'd been scheduling, you know, there's it's peer-to-peer scheduling, same as you guys, right? Um, They've been doing it forever. It's, it's hard to let go. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Well, and I think um, one of them is at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, like the – People have to be scheduled. The nurses have to be scheduled to fill the spots and planes have to fly and all those kind of things. So you're like, I can accommodate people's desires to a point. And then at some t- some point, people are just going to have to deal with a less optimized schedule because either we don't fly those lines, which is maybe a possibility, or you just have a worse schedule and you fly those lines because that's part of the job, you know, so... Yeah, or worst case, you don't have enough people to do it, you know. Oh, you need X, Y, Z. You just don't have that. Like, yeah. So one of the well, healthcare healthcare organizations we're dealing with, they're like 50% staffed. We can only optimize so much. <laughs> so we're trying to talk through them. Here's some other ways you can do that. We can, you know, put some, some dummy people into this, you know, or, uh, you know, fake accounts into the holes in the schedule, optimize for everybody else, and then you push all those empty slots out to your, your float pool or your travel staff or whatever. You know, yeah. or not that pilots have that option, but you got a reservist who you can bring on mandates or whatever. You just push it out to them. Yeah. I would say, Bender, you can speak to it maybe more than I can, but I would say most of the time it's not push it off to anyone else. It's just make someone fly twice. You know, it's like, hey, instead of, you know, like asking someone for help, it's like you're just going to fly two sorties that day or, you know, you're going to have a 12-hour day or 13-hour day. And it's like, okay, I guess. And Suck I think up. that's... Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, and sometimes you have to, and sometimes you don't have to. And it's, I think it's figuring out those times, uh, between there. One thing I I thought about earlier, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to ask it, but so you, 
what is it, 20, almost 23 now. Uh, so you in 2019 being like fully just military, right? Because you hadn't really stepped over to the innovation side or had you already been doing that? Um, I'd been on, in cyber work. So that side, I'd been the military innovation side, but hadn't been in the small business side yet. So now that you're on the other side with kind of looking back on the military side of it, how do you view it from the innovation side? Like where, where, cause was there ever that, uh, disparity when you were like, Oh, we are nailing it as the military side of this. And now you're on the other side and you're like, Ooh, I uh, really wish things were different. Yes. Yes. I, I, so it was in my mind again, I was doing the strategic engagement thing. And so I'm thinking like, I'm always trying to think of how can you do best by, by both parties, right? How can you do best for the air force? And also if you're bringing in somebody to partner, like you, you want to do, do well by them and maintain a good relationship and help be mutually meeting goals. And I would, try, you know, feel that this was the right thing to do. And now when I'm on the small business side, I mean, there are absolute pain points with the SIBR process. I'm just not that small businesses should be relying on SIBR money to, to survive, but some things should be predictable and it'll be like, Oh, we expect to have the release of these awards in, you know, in 30 days. Oh, it's been pushed out another month, another month, another month, another month. Like you can't just, you can't wait forever for these kinds of things. Like, I have a business to run. We need to be doing X, Y, Z. We've got to plan for developers and plan for this and plan for that. Um, so, so yes, the, the government, the DOD, could do so much better by small business. I, I do see it improving, um, but there still isn't a recognition of, here's what this delay causes, or here's what releasing um, an RFP, so a request for proposal, on a Friday afternoon does to a small business. <laughs> so. <laughs> Or like talking about something and releasing a proposal and then giving a two-day turnaround. You want a 17-page, like a really good technical volume in two days? Ooh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. They're probably not reading them anyway. But yeah. <laughs> the, uh, well, yeah, and I think that's when you've never been there, when you've never been on that side of the coin, you don't understand the constraints that that company's working with because if you've only been in the DOD, you're like, oh, okay, we're, you know, we're under a CR or whatever and, and funding will be here soon or our money's been taken back. And we're just, we're used to not really owning our dollars where I would assume as a, as an innovation company where it's like, Hey, no, no, no. Like these, this actually means something. It's not just kind of like, you know, funny money. It's uh it's probably a lot, a lot more heartache comes from it and probably a little heartburn too. Um, Yes, yes. There are a few times where I'm, I've seen proposals or heard from others like, oh, so-and-so, they got $6 million to build that out. I'm like, we already have that and you could pay us $2 million for it. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so there is, there's a lot of that, like, oh, that's throwing good money after bad. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, that's how it goes. There's the, the good and the bad of the innovation stuff. It's, it's good that they want to get after solutions and try to build it. Um, and bad that there's less awareness of what's already out there and how to get connected with those kinds of things or to, you know, to trust that business can do it as well as the Air Force. We kind of got in a habit for a very long time of, of doing our own stuff in-house. And now it's like the building, the trust, you know what, businesses can do this. They already have it. It's just, you got to figure out how to, how to acquire it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the unfortunate part is exactly why this podcast was created was the the knowledge disbursement of what exists already out there is, I, I would say, and in my limited experience and exposure, it, it, it's not great because that that's what happens. We we see a program that already exists that's ready to roll, and they're like, oh, yeah, here's $4 million to produce this program. And you're like, 
what are we doing here? Like, is this a yeah. joke? You messing with me? Uh, that kills me. So, yeah. Well, sweet. Well, we've got to, we've got to get out of here, but, uh, Cindy, thank you so much for the time. This is, this has been awesome. How, how can people reach out to you, email or websites or anything like that? Uh, if they want to want to chat about duality. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, the business is duality systems. We're www.dualitysys.com. My email is Cindy, C-I-N-D-I at dualitysys.com. That's it. You can find awesome. me on LinkedIn. I think it's Cynthia Brothers out there. So. Okay, awesome. Well, I'll have your uh, email and website in the show notes. For anybody listening who wants to check it out, you can just check the show notes. Uh, and then we will make sure our social media stuff has you attached to it as well so you can keep track. Uh, well, thank, thank you, you so much. much. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a great time and uh, have a good one. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.